Everybody, welcome to Down and Out, the Sports and Entertainment Podcast, taking the world by storm. Dom Tibbetts alongside Evan Ryer, two what sports quote-unquote professionals, giving our best shot at the world of podcasting. But we like to have fun, keep things loose, and a lot to get to today. As always, shout out JD Masters and Buddha, Man in the Mirror, our intro-outro music that you just heard. You can go catch them over on YouTube, SoundCloud, anywhere you stream your music, anywhere you stream our podcasts like Apple, Spotify, Google, and Stitcher. You'll find our boys, J.D. Masters and Buddha, friends of the program, friends of ours. Evan, happy Monday. Hope your weekend was well. The Jacksonville Jaguars, Evan, let's get right into it. They have their new head coach. The future of Jacksonville, the future of Duval, lies in the hands of Dougie Fresh Peterson. Peter yeah. Peterson. I, I want to make sure I emphasize the D in his name. But Peterson. Uh, yeah, man. I mean, it feels good. It just feels good for it to finally be over uh, more than anything else. And that's uh, that's where the Jaguars fucked up because, you know, I mean, this should have been one like 30 days ago. And then mm-hmm. two, the feeling should have been, you know, hysteria and excitement instead of God fucking damn it. Like why, you know, <laughs> why, why did it take so long? But um it's uh, it's it's good, man. I mean, it's really, really hard to be disappointed with a guy like Peterson, especially in the situ- situation that the Jaguars are in. I mean, Trevor Lawrence is the most important asset, the most valuable asset they have, right? And when it comes to you know teaching quarterbacks and getting the most out of quarterbacks, I mean, it's it, you know very few guys have a resume as impressive as uh, Doug Peterson does. I mean, not just Carson Wentz, but you know obviously what he did with Nick Foles when Nick Foles had to play in that Super Bowl season, and then if you go further back to his time in uh, as the Kansas City offensive coordinator, those were Alex Smith's best years as a quarterback, and you know they're less athletic, less talented guys, Nick Foles and Alex Smith, and Trevor Lawrence is supposed to be. Um, and, you know, I just, uh, I feel like this, the, the floor of this team just got raised, like, considerably. Building out talent and this, I mean, the roster is, it's it's a two to three year project, no question. But at least, you know, hopefully, you know, there'll they'll just be a lot of points scored either way. I mean, it's one thing if they go, it, you know, my people have already been asking me, like, what are your expectations? You know, right. what, what do you think could happen? And. I'm I'm thinking personally, like I'm not expecting. Of course, I'm not expecting like ta- nine, ten wins or something. I think six and eleven, seven and ten would be, you know, is ex- I'd be pretty ecstatic for that. Especially if it's a lot of points scored, like a top top half of the NFL, like fifteenth or better offense, and, and and they go that record. I feel really good about going into twenty twenty three. Um, well, so and- yeah, man. And you guys got to, I mean, the defense for you guys at the end of the season, and we talked about it, I mean, was starting to look like that that 2017, you know, fearless defense that, that the Jags had. So, I mean, you throw that all together. And I, 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 I think your projection seems about right, but I this you said it from the very beginning, and I'll agree just from the outside perspective, is that Doug Peterson is – what I feel like, just one, the smartest hire you make because it's a proven track record, and two, 
brings such a much needed sense of just normalcy into Jacksonville. Yeah. You know, it's I I don't think the 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 Doug hire blows people out of the water, but that's not what Jacksonville needed because that's what you got with Urban fucking Meyer. And now he's out of the building. You need to just get rid of the of the past of what is left from him and 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 the Doug Peterson hire seems to have kind of solved that riddle so to speak. Yeah, man. I uh I think yeah, that's the thing is that it's it's okay if, you know, people, you know, ask the question, can Doug Peterson win a Super Bowl in Jacksonville? It's like I mean, you can't be thinking about that right now. Like, I mean, of course you drafted Trevor Lawrence with the idea that this is a Super Bowl caliber, you know, Super Bowl winning caliber QB, but you know, if Doug's the guy or Doug's not the guy, just getting the Jaguars back to respectable, you know, is 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 the first, you know, target. And I would say, you know, I watched all of his press conference. You know, they sat in front of the media for 50 minutes to an hour. And Shad Khan, the owner, looked like a fucking buffoon. Um, I'm not, like, not going to lie. He, he, <laughs> he, he just looked unprepared. And he just had some really, like, kind of, like, rough answers to questions. And, you know, I mean, meanwhile, Trent Ball, is also sitting there in the press conference and not getting asked anything the first 30 minutes. Well, I was about you to know, say, he he had he had the biggest resting bitch face I've ever seen a GM have in an interview. Well, I mean, because everyone is asking Shad Khan, why didn't you fire this hoe? And, like, <laughs> he's just, like, sitting there, like, not able to speak, just like... Uh, and, and so it was funny in that regard. But at the same time, the thing is, is that that's, I would have cared way less about how Shad Khan looked in that press conference if the thing he announced in the final 10 minutes was something he announced in the first 10 minutes, which was they are hiring an EVP. You know, the Rick Spielman thing, they confirmed that. So that's great. That's a guy that is, you know, that's Trent Balky's boss. And that rocks, that Trent Bulky has a boss and that he can't, he's not just Shad's right-hand man plus, you know, the lead shot caller. Um, I so, know the big deal is that Doug Peterson is the head coach and that's what you make that about. But I'd almost be, if I'm if I'm a Jags fan or just the Jags, like, front office PR team, I'm making a big deal about Spielman's hire as well because that in itself is going to grab, I'm assuming, F, major kudos and major tip of the cap to the to, to Jag fans everywhere, knowing that Balky's going to be held accountable for whatever, you know, he's going to do, and somebody is going to have overreach on Trent Balky in Jacksonville. Oh, for sure. I mean, that's a huge deal, and, the you know, Spielman's not hired yet. They've got to interview other candidates. You know, it's going to be a process. In fact, they, as Shad explained, like, you know, you have to file you know, with the NFL to create a new position when you don't have that position filled, which this isn't the first time that the Jags have had an EVP of football ops or whatever the title's going to be. Mm-hmm. You know, Tom Coughlin was literally in that role, but when Tom, when Coughlin left, uh, that that no one ever, like, they never, they just moved forward without a VP, um, which is, you know, some teams have them, some teams don't, but I'm glad that, you know, the Jaguars are doing it in this scenario. Um you know, Doug sounded great. I mean, I I really was interested. I mean, it, it was to be expected, but he kind of outright said, like, and it, it was clear that it was, like, something maybe they talked about, but he was kind of saying, like, this isn't set in stone, but this is what I want, which is he wants to call plays. Um, he did that all, like, four, five seasons in uh, Philadelphia, so I'm cool with that. Very, very cool with that if he wants to, 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 to call plays and – um. You know, I am not in love with some of the OCs 
that they're being linked to. Um, I would kill. They got linked with a uh, uh, Pep Hamilton last night, who was, you know, uh, the the only thing you had to say about Pep Hamilton was that he was uh, Justin Herbert's uh, rookie year coach at the Chargers. So that's like all I need to know in terms of, hey, is this guy like a good quarterbacks coach? Um, mm-hmm. And then on top, the other name is Press Taylor, Zach Taylor's younger brother. Um, who was... Uh, it's a good time the, to invest in the Taylor stock right now. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, but but Press Taylor was the OC in Philadelphia the last season that Doug was there. He kind of... Press Taylor didn't get Doug fired, but Doug's decision-making surrounding Press Taylor is what got him fired because the Eagles Eagles ownership and front office said, hey, man, you got to fire Press Taylor. And he was like, nah. And then they were like, word, well, we're cleaning house. Um, so that's that's how that you know tenure ended. So I didn't want to I didn't want to necessarily cut you off because yeah, I know you were spinning yeah, but I just I would like to say that the guy that they are interviewing for the offensive coordinator or the guy they're looking at, uh, that's number one football name of of all time. That that Press is, Taylor. Uh, yeah. No no no, I'm sorry, not Press Taylor. Who's the Pat guy? Hamilton. Yeah 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 yeah. Love that name. Absolutely love that name. Pat I, Hamilton rocks. He's got like a everyone. He's like one of the top respected like quarterback guys in the NFL. And you know the Texans like okay so Justin Herbert and Davis Mills. Davis Mills obviously isn't a great quarterback, but Davis Mills had a pretty good rookie season. All things well, considered, and, and given everything else, yeah, exactly, exactly. And and like Justin Herbert, like that first season, he was already electric. Like he's, I mean, and he's got you know all the talent in the world. But but I mean, Pep Hamilton's work with both is you know pretty exciting. Um, there's a few other names that you know I wouldn't mind like as OC, but you know it's fine if not. I just really don't want Daryl Bevel to come back. It doesn't sound like that's a, a possibility, but um, I am hearing that Doug is very is is open to keeping um some of urban meyer's staff some of the previous staff on board uh you sure that's the right move there dougie p i don't know well it's very on brand for doug because when doug got hired by the eagles he kept like 90 percent of the the previous staff of chip kelly's staff um he kept a ton of it and then that's that group went on to win you know the the super bowl two years later so i mean it's 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 an interesting thing but i I a little bit different though is like chip kelly former also a former college coach like urban meyer assembles a team Urban Meyer brings that, in guys. It's like, well, are, are do we are we going to treat Urban Meyer's guys the same? That was also Urban Chips. That was also Chips' like second job in the NFL with the Eagles at that point, mm-hmm. second head coaching job after the 49ers. So, right. you know, he kind of had better you know connections. We'll see what you know. We'll see what Doug does. I will say the other exciting thing is that uh, if you go look, you know, in 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 Philadelphia. Peterson always had like a really strong personality, a really strong DC. A defensive coordinator that was basically like a second second head coach, you know, and you know, like uh, 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 Schwartz is really who comes to mind. Mm-hmm. The two guys that are being linked with the hardest to the Jags as DC is Vic Fangio and Mike Caldwell, which is awesome. I mean, either one of those That's a slam dunk hire right is there. a slam I mean, those dunk are, those hire. Are, like, those are those are head coaches, even you know. You yeah, can those are guys that, that we're interviewing for HC spots, you know, in the NFL this offseason. Like that's that's awesome. See, I that's, be... that's and see, fuck you guys because I've been sitting here wanting Vic Fangio into the Bills' office since the moment of time, but not really the best time to be getting rid of, of Leslie Frazier, being that he is uh, one of the you know a coordinator that is a minority. So you know, not not that would not be the best look on the. 
Buffalo Bills to be doing that. Well, the thing is, too, is that... man, I would love to have Vic Fangio in the building. This is a good way to segue into the Dolphins hire, but that's the that's the thing, Dom, is that there's a little bit that the NFL, you know, incentivizes you to keep those guys around beyond just the optics. Because, you know, if you have a minority coach on your staff who is then hired away by another uh, another team, you get con- compensatory draft picks, which is what the 49ers are getting for Mike McDaniel. The 49ers are getting two third-round picks over the next two drafts because Mike McDaniel has become officially – the uh, head coach of the Miami Dolphins. Um, Mike McDaniel, for those who have seen the jokes online but didn't see, like, don't know a lot about him, his father is black. Mike McDaniel is biracial and is a minority. And, uh, and you know, so that's, like, I think something that not a lot of people realized initially. It's starting to become, like, oh, okay, okay, like people are realizing now. But, um, and uh, so the, you know, 49ers are going to get a third rounder this year, third rounder next year. I mean, Keeping those guys around, they're doing a good job, you know. Like, I mean, it's it's a it's it's not a bad thing. So, um, I uh, I think I think the McDaniel hire is good. As you know, obviously, I've I've you know covered the 49ers, and my first time around covering the 49ers for heavy, he was the uh, he was like an offensive like I forget what his exact title like was. An analyst. But, yeah, call, like, I, I know that's what they kind of call those guys in college. I don't know what the NFL term for it is, but I'm assuming uh, yeah, it's something he, along that kind of role, those he kind was, of responsibilities. So, so he was, yeah, I, I thought it was this, it was run game coordinator, which is like, the yeah, thing is, sure. uh, the thing is about the 49ers offense under the Shanahan era is that they've ran the ball like nobody's fucking business. They're arguably year in, year out, the best rushing team in the NFL. Like, and, and I'm not talking about best personnel, I'm talking about what they do with the personnel they have. They go crazy. And you can talk about, you know, Kyle Shanahan calls the shots, no question, he calls the plays. But, you know, I, I would say McDaniel was likely one of the big pushes to get Debo more into the backfield uh, maybe than than Shanahan initially wanted, mostly because, I mean, you know, I think I think Debo's injury concerns coming into the season were real. Right. But they took McDaniel kind of pushed and Shanahan pushed and they took the risk and it paid off. Um, I like McDaniel in Miami. I think he's a good fit. I think that type of offense, like what he will probably be looking to run, similar to what the 49ers do, will take a lot of pressure off Tua, which is probably the biggest complaint you could have about the Flores era in Miami is that they're, you know, they, they did do fine. You know, they had like a very 500 type record and two had some good games. He had some bad games, but there's a lot of games that Tua was being asked to throw 40 times a game. And I, you know, even in his coming into his what third, fourth year now, I still think Tua is not a guy that you want throwing. I mean, you never really want your quarterback throwing 40 to 50 times a game. You shouldn't like, have to. Ever. No, especially when the guy being that young. My, my only thought is, and, and maybe it's different because, you know, the, prior to his injury, I mean, you had Raheem Moser, and this year you had the a, a dual backfield in Elijah Mitchell and uh, uh, the other guy. I'm forgetting. Uh, you had, well, you had Jeff Wilson Jr. Jeff you had a Wilson. few different guys. And, so, uh, yeah. none of, but none of those guys, when you're looking at them or look at them on a depth chart, really, I mean, come off and pop off the charts, you're like, ooh. Wow, this is a playmaker. But well, I mean, even Ricky Moster. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And and you go back to that to the NFC Championship in 2019, up into their Super Bowl run. I mean, it was it was a spectacle to watch them go and destroy Green Bay in that game. But I, what what he inherits in Miami, you have Duke Johnson with Miles Gaskin, and I've always been a fan of Miles Gaskin. I think he's a very young, talented running back. You have a veteran presence in Philip Lindsay. I actually think that. 
you know, it, it's another situation where the Dolphins running back room doesn't pop off the chart, but I'd be curious to see what Mike McDaniel does with that because I think he probably is the right coach that's going to get the most out of what he has at that position. Well, well, the thing is, is like, you know, another criticism of Flores that I remember seeing from Dolphins fans was like, how do we have guys like Gaskin and we just can't run the ball? Like, and it's, it's, you know, a big, big part of that is our offensive line is terrible. Um, and it was, I mean, that was a big reason why Tua was getting killed that first year, especially. True. Um, but on top of that, it's like, you know, it's kind of, you know, as an offensive coach, you know, it's kind of your job to figure that out, like to figure out ways to scheme, you know, a running game to, to, to at least get something or, or otherwise. And, and I think McDaniel is, I mean, like I said, his track record the past three or four or five seasons in uh in San Francisco is as good as anybody in the country when it comes to running the ball. There's a lot of questions on McDaniel, you know, beyond that. I mean, you know, he he he's only been an offensive coordinator for one season. Um, you know, that's that's kind of like a ooh, yeah. I mean, he 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 hasn't like ever ran a team. Um, that being said, he's got uh, I think maybe you know he kind of looks super young, and I mean he is 38, but I mean he has been a on NFL staff since 2005. Um, so, I mean, he definitely, you know, he's been everywhere from Houston to Washington, to Cleveland, to Atlanta, to San Francisco. I mean, he's, he's got connects. He's, he's gotten his chops and, and Hey, where and you've, you've been watching NFL as long as I have, what, what market and what team always seems like the great place for a first, first time head coach to start off. It's always going to be Miami or some no team like it. So I, 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 I like the hire. I think it fits well. Um, you know, and I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, Evan, but Kellen Moore was that other finalist for that job. So it seems to me now that Kellen Moore is going back to Dallas. And after it's all funny. that hype, after all that hype, he's going back to Dallas where it looks like, you know, the Cowboys are going to get their continuity back. They're going to have right. McCarthy with Dan Quinn and Kellen Moore when they thought maybe Moore and Quinn weren't even going to be there. Well, it's funny too, because like, I mean, I've seen Cowboys fans kind of groaning that they didn't lose either of their coordinators because they were <laughs> like, they would rather kind of move on from from both uh, Dan Quinn and yeah, and Kellen Moore, too. but but it's uh it's 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 uh it's good stuff, man. I mean, it's 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 definitely funny. I think Kellen Moore is is definitely deserving of it and and all that. But the, you want to here's the deal: what this coaching, what Kellen Moore versus McDaniel really shows you is how people view staff coming out of Kyle Shanahan's regime and how people view staff coming out of McCarthy's, you know, regime. Because mm-hmm. uh, it's not like, I mean, the Cowboys scored like more points than anybody else. Like they had an incredible offense this past year. But, but, but you know, it's, you know, you can say that uh, McDaniel did more with less, so to speak. And breaking news. Breaking news. Breaking news. A it's not even exclusive. Re- a breaking news update. Uh, uh, down and out uh, NFL insider Ian Rappaport says <laughs> that um, uh, the Texans are moving towards naming Lovey Smith as their head coach for 2022. Tweeted that out five minutes ago. That's not even really anything different than we were hearing last night. But. Uh, you it know, puts a to, little to, bit more confirmation sprinkles on that. To, to segue into that a little bit, uh, you know, it seems like the Texans are going to hire Lovey. Um, 
that's, I think, a fine hire. I didn't, you know, I understand why Bears fans and, and stuff like that might hate Levy Smith. But for me personally, I mean, I definitely see the appeal. I mean, he's at least got NFL head coaching experience. He's got connections. He's a, a player's guy, which is something they need in Texas. They need in Houston. Um, I think uh, I think it makes sense. That being said, it is still hysterical that, like, you know, I it's almost like the Texans are trying to draw away attention from the Jaguars coaching I was, search. Evan, you brought uh, that's re- exactly where I wanted to get to with the taxes. But go ahead and rip this off because this is like, this is what I was thinking. It's so funny that like you know it's like oh the Jags took forever and like oh well you know they were so close to Byron Leftwich and they didn't hire him. What the fuck? You guys suck. Uh, you won't get rid of Balky. And then now it's, uh, or the the GM or whatever you want to call it for uh, for. Um, the Texans is like notoriously bad as well. Right. And, and, you know, I mean, when Josh McCowan was appearing as your front runner uh, for, for the head coaching job, I mean, yeah, that's a bad sign uh, there. You know, the jokes are rolling in that, you know, the fucking NFL, like Roger Goodell, like called, you know, called the Texans and was like, yo, we're not letting you hire Josh McCowan. That ain't, that ain't, <laughs> we, will, we will force you to sell the team at that point. We're, we're, we're gonna, we're gonna let, make you hire, you know, somebody else. And, and, you know, I mean, you could do worse than Lovey. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I think you can do worse than Lovey. I do you think could. that you, I, I think you're chasing some nostalgia. If you're going to, if you're going to put a guy like Lovey there, you're hoping to re to, to get that mid two thousands Lovey with the bears kind of energy there. And that, that's a big ask of a guy who really hasn't been the, a guy who has had to run an organization and be the head guy in quite a bit of time. Yeah, that's what's interesting about him too, right? Is that like, I mean, what? It's been, it's been, um, you know, uh, uh, 10 years or no, seven years since uh, since he was the head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And that obviously was a, a shit show. I mean, I will say he didn't exactly impress while at Illinois, although Illinois is definitely a much stronger football program than it is, you know, than where it was like five, six, seven years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I like I said, I think Lovey can definitely do it. It's just, you know, I mean, this is a guy that's coached the team to a Super Bowl. You know, I mean, he took the Bears to the Super Bowl. But, but at the same time, it's got to be – I, I, I worry that the the scenario around Lovey isn't as committed to like doing what like it, I think with him you need to fully back him like you need to let him kind of take the lead and to just support him but I think the way the Texans organization works especially after the Bill O'Brien debacle right. the front office cares a lot more about having you know kind of you know like outright no questions asked decision making you know like you can't yeah like no debate like this is what we're doing yeah Um, and and the thing is is i mean lovey's lovey's gonna need to bring in some guy he's gonna need to be a a a guy who brings in consistency and 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 can bring in guys that he knows are gonna help you know build on his veteran and experience in the nfl but let alone i mean this is no by no means like i i don't think any texans fan is going to feel like relieved in the slightest because there are far more problems facing the Texans organization than just simply getting, you know, your head coach and the right guys around you. I mean, you've got this, you still got the Deshaun Watson debacle, you know, are are you going to move forward with Davis Mills or Terod Taylor? What do you do with Watson? What, what in the hell is going on for a team that arguably put up one of the worst NFL seasons you could ever have? 
Yeah, I mean, definitely from a a, a personnel standpoint. Mm-hmm. I mean, they won more games than the Jaguars, so I can't talk too much shit. But um, what I was going to say was that, I mean, you know, like I said, they they per, they promote Lovey f- from within, right? Because he was you know DC this past season, and you know, that like there's a little bit of continuity there. But again, that tells me a lot of that is okay. Well, Lovey can be our guy, and he'll do what we say, not vice versa. Um, so and you know uh, now Garofalo, Mike Garofalo is saying that Josh yeah, McCown saw this too. Yeah, might still get on the staff. Uh, Pep Hamilton expected to stick his offensive coordinator. Sad face for the Jags, um, but that's okay. I also do um, like that the ja- <laughs> the first comment under Garofalo's tweet is a Jags fan because he's got the con clown emoji on there. Oh, so yeah. Jags, Jags fans just first to that news as always. Oh, yeah. I mean, we got nothing else to do. This is our, you know, this is the Jag. The offseason is when the Jags, you know, fan base is at its strongest. No question. Um, not when we're actually playing football games. Uh, other real quick breaking news. Uh, Packers hiring Rich Basaccia as uh, the special teams coordinator. Um, that's that, uh, We have been hearing about that. That's nothing new. But, you know, I think that had been developing for the past few days. Right, but, but now it's confirmed. Yeah. So. And listen, and we saw that what happened. I mean, the Packers had a, a Super Bowl caliber season. And quite frankly, I believe still should be competing for a Super Bowl. But their special teams let them down. And credit to San Francisco for playing a great game. I don't want to take anything away from the Niners there. But we all know that the special teams let down the Green Bay Packers uh, yeah. Super Bowl hopes this year. And you bring in a guy like Passaccia back into there. Yeah, that's uh, that. I, I think that's a humongous, humongous win for the Packers. I don't think it's a win for Rich. I, I, I feel really bad that Rich isn't going to get uh, a, a, cord, uh, a head coaching spot somewhere else, and let alone he wasn't going to be the guy for the Raiders. But uh, I, I, I'm, happy, I'm happy that the Packers seem to at least, I guess, have someone. Happy in the fact that it's a good hire and happy that Pisacci at least has jobs. But I, I was hoping to see him take the head coaching position somewhere. Yeah, I uh, I I think he definitely still deserves it. But you know, as as a lot of people kind of pointed out in relation to the Jags job, it's kind of now or you know, I mean, Basachi is like sixty. You know, I mean, he's running out of time to get that HC job. You know, if he does a great job in uh in in in. In, in in Green Bay, you know, maybe he gets some more interviews next year. Um, but but you know, it's got to come quick for him. So in Green Bay, I mean, that is, if I'm a Green Bay Packers fan, I'm ecstatic about that after yeah, watching that unit next last year and and just knowing that okay, so you know, a young coach in Matt Lafleur has another really strong veteran presence. Um, you know, in his staff, that's I don't think ever a bad thing. Um, Kind speaking of uh, speaking oh, of ahead. veteran, I was just say rolling into the to the final coaching point is speaking of veteran presence. Well, we don't know who's going to be the guy in New Orleans, Ev. But after all this time, I got a name that we both threw around when we first made our initial coaching list. Uh, Eric Bieniemy is is getting uh, interviewed for, with the Saints, and he is looking to be uh, the front runner for this position as of right now. Yeah, I, uh, I I think I think that's a slam dunk hire. Eric Bieniemy is from New Orleans. Um, he he, or at least from Louisiana, maybe not New Orleans specifically, but you know that's it's a it's a it's a bit of a home state kind of vibe. And then you can really say about Bieniemy that hasn't already been said. I mean he uh, he. 
He has just been, you know, whether whether you think it's all, if you think he's a, a huge role or a small role, the the Kansas City offense has is, is just been, you know, when they're bad, they're like top 10 in the NFL. And when they're at their best, they're better than everyone else. So Eric Bieniemy could have used that first half of the of the Bengals AFC Championship game and pretty much I guess the entire game against the Bills and the Divisionals as literally the all the demo tape he needed when he was oh, shopping yeah. around for jobs. Just put that flop your dick with that tape on the table and I don't understand how, you know, more I I I I have to imagine that that he was waiting for the right opportunity, and as you mentioned, a hometown guy. This this feels like the right opportunity because why leave a good situation to go into a shitty situation? But with that being said, you know you you have the resume, the tapes, the the everything that Eric Bieniemy brings to the table. It, it's it's hard for me to believe that Dennis Allen, even though I know he's kind of the guy that continues the continuity for the Saints, hard to believe that he, if you're the front office for New Orleans you're still thinking continuity over Eric Bieniemy because God God only knows that if Bieniemy doesn't take this job then what keeps him from you know not wanting just to stay in Kansas City until I don't know how long I, I don't I don't know what other situations he would really want to walk into that that aren't New Orleans yeah I uh I yeah I mean that's the 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 big problem the big problem in New Orleans though is that they are just fucked when it comes to their like their ability to improve the roster. Um, if you go look at the Saints cap space situation, it's concerning as hell. Uh, um, well, I think they're over forty million in the hole or something like that. Yeah, it's, like it's, it's, it's a staggering number. It's a huge number, and that means that you know it's kind of if they're going with enemy, I would say whoever they hire is probably someone that they're saying, okay, well we can kind of be patient with this because we need like a year just to maneuver. Um, you know, I mean, maybe they're able to get kind of funky with it and, and, and get, get some, you know, some good deals done, but, but really at the end of the day, they're going to get like 25 million more in cap space in 2023 as all NFL teams will, that'll give them, you know, a little bit more space. And then two, they'll have some contracts coming up and different things that they can either, you know, move on from or whatever. And I think, you know, I mean, it, it'll be, it'll be very interesting to see, you know, how close to the Kansas City offense does enemy you know, go for? Is he kind of, you know, does he have his own remixes and, pl- you know, uh, uh, changes that he, he thinks need to be made? Obviously, you don't have Patrick Mahomes, so you have to kind of, But you, you know, have Jameis fucking Winston, though. He Okay, so I'm going to, I didn't, I, mean, I didn't say this about Tyrod Taylor, and I'm not saying this about Jameis, but both those guys are technically about to be free agents, so no good guarantees point. on them yeah, coming back. The name you're looking for you is Taysom, Taysom Hill. You got fucking Hill. <laughs> yeah. You got Taysom Hill. Uh, uh, t- so, I mean, but that's the thing is that, you know, you can design, you know, kind of a, ru- a rushing game that, that utilizes Taysom Hill in a productive way. And, I don't and know. you have also a, a talent in Michael Thomas when he gets back from injury. And, and and if he wants to play, you know, right, you have Michael Thomas. You still have good receivers in Traquan Smith and Marquez Callaway, uh, and and obviously a defense that that uh, Dennis Allen has really shaped up to do very well in New Orleans. So he's not coming into a dire situation, but that cap space in rear right have he's going to have to become very good at facilitating and managing the the personnel and roster space that he has currently because there's no there's no room to add in New Orleans. 
Yeah, for sure. So I, uh, I, I mean, if, if, if he ends up being the guy, you know, there's a chance that it's not him, but I think he's, I think it's definitely time for him to get a job. I mean, I just want to know if Eric B is a good coach or not a good NFL head coach or not at this point. I'm tired of, you know, uh, B doesn't, you know, right. he, he definitely has earned it. So, uh, you know, good for him and, uh, you know, hopefully good for the saints. And I, uh, you know, I mean, I, I think, uh, I think it's going to be tough, but at the same time, it's kind of weird because the NFC South is like such a kind of up in the air situation. Like the Panthers don't feel like they're going to be, you know, a, a 14 win team next year. The Falcons don't feel like that. And now that, you know, Tom Brady's retired, the Buccaneers don't feel like that. They're still going to be an, an unbelievably loaded roster, but. As, now, as, the, I mean, the future rests in Kyle Trask's hand, so you got to well, yeah, Kyle I, Trask that guy. I think I think they'll probably let Trask sit another year. I think he's a two year bench bench guy, and then they'll they'll see what they want to do in year three. Um, I think I think for sure they're going to go get a veteran uh, QB, maybe Jimmy Garoppolo uh, to. Uh, to, to, to start because they, they just need somebody like that. It's kind of what the 49ers thought with Jimmy Garoppolo of we need a guy that we know if he's in a playoff game, he's going to play at the same level he pretty much always plays at. Uh, and uh, and that's not to say very good, but, you know, just okay, solid. Because um, it's not like Brady – I mean, of course, Brady plays well in the playoffs, but I mean, there's a you know there were a lot of games this season and last season that Brady didn't play especially well, and the Buccaneers still won. You know, right. so um, be curious to see what happens in the NFC South. That's kind of feels like a wide open uh, division next year, at least something close to it. Which is, I guess, something we haven't really felt like it's it has been in the wild because the Saints and the Bucks have kind of had their the the back and forth over the last couple seasons or so. So uh, it'll be a good situation, I guess, for balance sake in the NFC South. Transitioning into kind of our last football topics uh, before we go to the cash grab. Uh, speaking of the Saints, Alvin Kamara getting in a little bit of trouble, and by a little bit of trouble, I mean assault, brother. Battery charges at a at a club outside of Vegas ex- right after the Pro Bowl. So uh, not really – I didn't want to mention him when I was talking about all the things that Eric Bieniemy would inherit as a Saints head coach because I don't know if he's going to get to inherit Elvin Kamara because he just got arrested for battery after the Pro Bowl of all things. Listen – I know there was a lack of contact and hitting in the Pro Bowl, but does that does that give Alvin Kamara the excuse to go take that out and in, into the Vegas Strip? I don't think so. No, I mean it's it's interesting though because there are rumblings that this was like a self defense type thing and that there's a lot there's you know there's there's more to come here like he might plead not guilty and that this could be end up being you know a very legitimate you know trial and mm-hmm. and whatever and you know that it was it was more of a fight than it was just assault right but you know I mean that's how getting in a fight goes you know when you're a grown ass man is you know if you you know not the Second other person teeth- to throw the punch you're always gonna get in trouble. No question. So, I mean, it sucks. You know, it's definitely, you know, if I'm a Saints fan, I'm, 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 I'm mostly just like annoyed because, you know, it's not that Alvin Kamara is constantly in trouble, but it's, it's that the Saints always seem to have those guys. Like it's less about the players specifically to me, but as a Saints, from a Saints perspective, it's just like, God damn, every season, why do we have to, you know, like it's, it's just, you know, annoying. Um, But, you know, hopefully, 
hopefully, you know, there's somehow a, a, a happy ending or a positive, you know, or, or new information to come out. I know. So, uh, you know, that's the thing is that Kamara was held on a $5,000 bail. I mean, Kamara could have paid that, but he stayed in jail last night instead and uh, is going to trial at 11 a.m. Mountain Time today. So in a couple hours, I guess. Um, and you know, I mean, it, that tells me like, oh, this dude, like he's, 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 he's getting the lawyers ready. He's getting ready to, you know, to fight this. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see though. I mean, it's, it, it, you know, you can take that route, but if you lose, then you ended up wasting even more money and time and you're still going to have to go to jail, um, yeah. again. So, uh, yeah, uh, Fingers crossed, I guess, for the Saints bros. I got a, I got quite a few of them. And, uh, you know, right when you're like, oh, we're going to get a head coach. No, it's going to be good. It's You, know, you get you get something like that. Yeah, um, it is what it, it's like. It's, 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 it's like the Bengals of, of the mid-2000s kind of rendering their ugly head again, it feels like, here and coming yeah. in for New Orleans. Speaking it, of Las Vegas. Yeah, yeah. Let's do it. Well, uh, you know, obviously yesterday was Pro Bowl and Twitter was nothing but people going, wait, are we actually watching this? And the answer was yes, because there's no other football on. But two, it was, you know, I mean, just not very entertaining because it's not very fun to watch, you know, what are basically glorified walkthroughs. I mean, that's all it is. It's just, you know, player, you know, it's, it's, there's not really anything going on. It's just, I would have rather they have played a game of like 500. Like just yeah. play five hundred the for like two hours or so. That that would have been more entertaining. Well, the popular idea right now is flag football is the way to improve it, and I think that would be. I don't think it would improve ratings at all, but I do think it would improve the quality of what you're watching. Um, I think less people would be inter- less of the casual audience, the casual NFL audience, would want to watch, um, you know, flag football, but. You know, diehard fo- football fans, which are the mo- majority of people watching Pro Bowl anyways, they would be like, yeah, this will be fun. You know, I mean, that really shows off crazy athleticism, you know, when you when 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 those guys don't have to move around in pads. Like if you think, you know, Tyreek Hill and those types of guys are fast already, watch the you know, you know, watch them try and juke dudes out when they don't have stuff on like when yeah. you know summer workouts or whatever. It's it's gorgeous. So I'd be down for that. The other idea I had would be. You know, kind of, it's still flag football probably related, but I wouldn't even mind doing a setup where it's like all-time quarterback type deal. Like, it's instead of having a Pro Bowl between the AFC and the NSC, you kind of do like uh, all-time quarterback and and have kind of like a, you know, kind of what they do in the NBA All-Star game where teams are, you know, players are picked by, you know, captains and and you just kind of go by that. Like a quarterback can pick like four offensive weapons, you know, and, you know, uh, uh, and then, you know, defenses can can organize. I don't know exactly how you do it, but but I think that could be a fun way to, to go. I, I, I don't hate I don't hate either of those ideas. I think because at the end, at the end of the day here, the conversation always going to be, None of these guys want to get hurt, and I don't blame them. You know, everyone loves to watch the clip of Sean Taylor absolutely lighting the day up of famous Bills punter Brian Mormon, and quite frankly, the best Bills player that they had for like a decade at the time. But nobody wants to go get out, go get hurt at this kind of game. It's a fun, it's a loose atmosphere, and I totally get that. I would not be out here headhunting trying to get myself injured at all for any of this. That being said, though. We talked about it before we started recording, Ev, is that the skills competition and skills challenges were really, really fun, and they were really awesome uh, between 
between them. I don't know if there's a way or a role we can expand on it to get more people involved, maybe make it a little bit more um, – you know, add some more people to it. Let, let let it be a longer event. I'm not sure what that could look like, but there's a way you could expand upon the skills challenge. I'm all for that too. I've also just seen, you know, uh, 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 like dinner ideas being thrown out. Just let let them have a, a Pro Bowl dinner on top of the Skills Challenge and let that be. I, I could also see that being a possibility because I don't know how you – go into next season being like, listen, if we're going to just do this again, why aren't we just going to do a flag football game and, and, and ha- what have you not? So uh, I, I think I think there has to be a little bit of change there, and I think that you know there, there are a lot of options that they can explore that at least make it make it entertaining too. Uh, I mean, because I, I, the skills competition was pretty funny to watch Micah Parsons uh, <laughs> outrace Nick Chubb and Tyreek Hill for the fastest yeah, man in the well, NFL. Sick. Now, mind you, Tyreek Hill was 100% not running at 100%. Uh, I, oh, he didn't even try. Yeah, uh, and, and Nick Chubb was trying. So it was actually hilarious that Micah Parsons beat Nick Chubb. Uh, so Tyreek Hill most definitely is the fastest man in the NFL. But again, though, that was – and actually, your, your dog, Mac Jones, going head-to-head um, – I forgot who was the quarterback for the NFC during the the, the, the Russell the, Wilson Russell for the precision uh, competition. Like watching Mac and Russ go off was really really fun too. And honestly, Mac had a great weekend. <laughs> you know, he was, no, I mean Mac was great. He was out there doing a lot of a lot of stuff. So there there is, I think, no need to ever cut the Pro Bowl. There just needs to be there needs to be a way to make the Sunday a little bit better. Yeah, for sure. It's just it's just tough because due to you know injury and everything else, you can't ask you know for 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 things to get more intense. It's just not ever gonna go go down like that. You know, I mean that's why you know the Shrine Bowl being added to the Pro Bowl week in Las Vegas makes a lot of sense because that's a more legitimate football game. Those guys are, you know, college athletes with something to play for. You know, they're trying to, you know, impress scouts and all mm-hmm. that stuff. If you want to watch intense football in the week of the Pro Bowl, that's what you need to t- tune in on. Um, but, you know, it's it's the Pro Bowl is a – it is not – a casual fan experience. It is a niche fan experience, and the NFL needs to lean into that rather than trying to see how many people they can get to tune in. That's not where, you know, I mean, they know they know this, but that's not where you're going to make your money. Instead, let's make it a celebration of the NFL season. You know, lean into, and they do that, but lean into that even harder. You know, make it about the games. Make it about, like, the interactions between fans and players and, like, you know, really going behind the scenes, you know, really getting to talk to those guys and see them have fun and interact and not be in, you know, season mode. You know, I mean, watching, you know, Justin Jefferson and Debo Samuel hit the gritty and make fun of each other, like, <laughs> that is, or, or George Kittle, like, interacting with, like, little kids on the field and stuff, like, that's the fun stuff. I yeah. mean, that's that's the stuff you, you want to see at this point. So, you know, and I think the NFL does an okay job of it, but, you know, there's it almost seems like they're being stretched between two different ideas. Um, so, we'll see. Yeah, we shall see. It'll be, like I said, it, it'll be fun about what they can do to kind of enhance that. As you said, you know, get get into that niche audience. I'll be curious to see what they come up with in the following years. But, Ev, we've been talking for quite a bit of time, but let's go make some money, and then we'll talk a little, little NBA and a little golf, a little big news coming out of the golf world. How's that sound? 
Sounds like a plan. All right, folks. When we come back, we've got all that and more. So stick around. Down and Out returns right after this. Hey guys, Dom here. I want to tell y'all about Anchor.fm. Yes, Anchor.fm. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First off, it's free and there's tons of creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Don't know how to get your final product on all the major streaming platforms? Have no fear. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on places like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started and tell them Down and Out sent you. All right, let's get back to the show. Welcome back. Thanks for sticking with us. Second half of Down and Out underway. We begin with the MLB, something we didn't get to talk about that we wanted to on Thursday. I'm actually happy that we didn't because more has developed into this weekend. Folks, MLB is not looking too bright right now. The MLB season is not looking to project to start on time. Spring training talks have all halted because the players... Union and Players Association and the MLB and the owners themselves cannot agree on anything. A federal uh, mediator was requested by the MLB and the Players Association says, nope, no thank you, we don't want it. So we're at a standstill here, Evan. The, the, like I said, the future of this season is it, it, it's going to happen, you know, because they made it happen during a COVID year. So I know they'll, they'll make the season happen. But how many games in the timeline of when we start and the quality of the baseball that will ensue after is definitely all up at risk here at this point. Yeah, I mean, the way that, you know, Jeff Passan described it, which, you know, whether you love or like Jeff Passan is, you know, I, I'm personally a fan. But he, he described it as the on-time opening of spring training at this point is in grave danger and frankly would take a miraculous deal coming together to rescue. A delay feels inevitable, um, which is unfortunate. You know, nobody wants that. Uh, but at the same time, you know, the the leverage right now is, yeah, I mean, both sides have, have stuff that they can cling to, but... The players know that if opening day hits and the owners aren't making that 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 money, you know, aren't from TV, from mm-hmm. you know, from tickets, from everything, that that's their best bet on getting, you know, the the things that they want, you know, right. to, to to get all the the stuff that they want and and uh, and so I mean it's kind of inherent, you know. It's sad that baseball might not start on time, or that you know it's uh, or that the season could even be in jeopardy. But at the same time, I think it's a, uh, I think you know it's it, it's a as a ba- as a fan, I absolutely you know support it. If if we got to go without baseball for a little bit, then okay, you know I can I can I can deal with it a little bit and. Uh, you know, let's let's put the pressure on the owners to actually, you know, create a system that doesn't just fuck over young players constantly, doesn't just underpay players like, you know, that people talk about how huge baseball contracts get, but like it's so 
like compared to it's top heavy. It's a, it's, it's a top yeah, heavy it's market. so top heavy compared to like the averages or you know compared to the mean, so to speak, of like the NBA, of the NFL, of you know other pro sport uh, 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 leagues. And one thing I, I I I'll interject just to say that I like from the the players' union and association perspective is that they want to because they're the guys who have lived it, and the guys who have gone through it as players. One of the biggest issues that the MLB faced in terms of its future long before this lockout talk came was the the future and and the sustainability of of minor league baseball across all levels. I mean, you are you you are not paid well. <laughs> and nope. You are not paid well until you sign a major league deal and even then you have got to be a solidified guy or a top prospect to get a significant amount of money and and that's one thing that that the the players association has always tried for a long time is to better up the value but the owners just won't nudge on it however though i want to just provide a counterpoint to that all real quick I, i i didn't i didn't get a clear reason as to why this didn't happen but and maybe it's because the the players you know the association, the union felt that a mediator was going to be too one-sided towards the owners. But I was a little, a little hesitant to be like, well, why are we? If, if we want the season to happen, why are we? Why are we not letting a mediator come in and try to facilitate these talks? There's clearly something that that maybe I'm not seeing on the inside here. But I mean, overall, I'm like you. I'm I'm with you. I'm always going to support the players, and if that means we have to have a little bit a little bit of a delay, so be it. Now, I don't think we're going to lose the season. It, oh, the thing is, is like okay, so Max Scherzer, right, who is on the MLBPA, you know, board and and has been in those meetings the past week and all that stuff. Uh, we don't tweet it out on February fourth, three days ago. We don't need mediation because we are offering to ML- what we are offering to the MLB is fair for both sides. We want a system where threshold and penalties don't function as caps, allows younger players to realize more of their market value, makes service time manipulation a thing of the past, and eliminates tanking as a winning strategy. Which, you know, I mean, those are, yeah, that's like the core thing is that right now, you know, basically, you know, if you're an up-and-coming player in the MLB, unless the team feels you know, kind of nice enough, compelled enough, has like a front office that that operates this way. I mean, you can go all the way to you're like 29 or 30 years old without getting a fucking huge contract. Like, I mean, you can go all in and be a star and play for our play on arbitration and you might get paid, you know, like 10 million a year or something. But there are guys that are, you know, 30 million dollar a year type players that are, you know, getting a third of their value. Right. Um, and, and, and baseball and it, is that unique sport where you go to your age 29, you know, not having that huge contract. These guys start 18, 19 years old. You know, you can right. come out of Juco or you don't right. even have to well, go to college and play. Now, and, and in the modern game, more than ever, you were seeing guys like Fernando Tatis or whoever you want to point out these 21 22 year old guys that are becoming the most valuable players you know not just from a pure like value in a front office sense like trade value but like actual on field value at the at a super young age Juan Soto I mean, Juan Soto might be the best fucking player in baseball. There's days that if you watch Juan Soto play baseball, you're like, he's what? He's how old? And he does, yeah. I mean, he's he's insane. But he's, he's he's you know, really, the Nats, you know, I mean, they could, they could screw that. They could just say, oh, well, we can just, like, barely pay this motherfucker and just get, like, 
you know, a ton of great years out of them and then let them roll. And the next team can have to pay them. And that's, you know, I mean, strategy, right? But is that really an ethical way to treat the game's biggest stars? You know, the the, the things that make people yeah, want right, to tune right. into baseball? No. I mean, and then, you know, service time manipulation, as Scherzer mentions, that's what's really fucked is like, you know, preventing guys from getting major league deals or getting bigger arbitration values by you know, basically saying, you know, through, you know, what is essentially a type of tanking of, you know, oh, well, this guy it gives us the best chance to win, but we're a mediocre team. So we're going to play him like instead of playing him in all 150 possible games that he might be able to play in the season, 160, whatever. We're going to only play him in 98 and because if he hits 100 games, we have to you know pay him a bunch more. Right. I mean, that's fucked when you're doing stuff like that. Like, the NFL used to have problems with that, too. Like, in the 2000s and the 90s, that was, like, actually a big talking point and kind of led to the NFL lockout and stuff like that, you know. Um, and now, you know, we were talking about, you know, week 18 in the NFL is the week of – okay, let's see if everyone can get their bonuses. And this past year, I mean, how many guys across the board were getting thrown? Like Marvin Jones, for example, needed four receptions to uh, four receptions and against the Colts to, to hit a bonus. He got three, he got targeted the first three balls of the game. I mean, they, you know, they, they don't operate like that anymore. You know, they're, they're, they're fine to give out bonuses. The MLB is just the, the, the ownership and the MLB itself, like, the actual organization just feels so out of touch with a way yes, to precisely precisely make, and, 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 and make money, but also be ethical to like its staff. Well, and why, and why is it baseball that seems like they are just so out of touch with the time is one way, but just so behind the eight ball on the modernization of, you know, and this goes back to the argument we had when we were talking about the MLB voting and, and the crusty old fucks who, who, who hold on to their old school values when it comes to Hall of Fame voting and stuff. And, and this is spoken from a guy like myself who is, is, is not, not a big receptor to, to change in the game of baseball itself. But outside the field into this world that we're talking about now, it, it, it is beyond baffling to me that it is – very what seems like simple common sense things that will help make your players better which at the end of the day is the product that you are solely like responsible for taking care of that brings you in the revenue and the fans and the merchandise etc etc but yet you're going to sit here and be behind the eight ball royally screw them over to save you a, a, a couple percentage of of money that at the end of the day these motherfuckers are so rich that it's the difference between a a 2.2 and 2.3 million dollar yacht i, I it's it, it's it's a stemming issue that has stretched throughout multiple different facets of the MLB and, and the game of baseball itself. But I, I'm with you there, too, is that while, while I definitely would have loved to have seen a, a mediator or somebody just to get this resolved, I can understand why the Players Association wants to stand firm in that same sense. It's because, well, why do we want to negotiate with these greedy fucks anymore? Like, if we don't go on the field, that hurts their wallets too, just as much as it hurts as much as it hurts ours. But we, I think, the players will always have that power. They'll always have the one up because they're the guys who get to go on the field and play every single night and, and make these owners and these organizations their money. I, it's. Uh, it's it's like you said. It's just it, it's so they're so tone deaf and out of touch just with how the rest of the sports world has operated that 
it's it's baffling and, and it's and it is frustrating as an outside fan of just somebody who likes a game of baseball. It's just like are we are we fucking serious? <laughs> is this are we really gonna keep doing this shit? Because how how many more times? What when is the next time an arbitration deal doesn't get passed and then we got to go through this again in six and seven years from down the road? Yeah, I, I mean I, that's that's the thing is that it's like this CBA needs to really be a tone setter. On, um, it's got, it's got, and it's got to be something long term too. Like really, let's let, let let's get a nice long term deal, and so we can all just get back to like growing the game of baseball. Because when we first started this podcast, Ed, which is you know coming up to you know about eleven months ago, we were we we had this big argument about baseball not being able to attract to a younger audience. But twenty twenty one provided an incredible season full of new youthful talent. Juan Soto, Ronald Acuna Jr., Fernando Tatis, Mike Trout even still. Like there there is so much young talent out there that has brought in a new interest and, and, and young fandom to this game of baseball that it just feels like a waste of fucking time that we've given in 2021 to sit there and have to deal with this same what feels like just rhetoric bullshit that we've dealt with in years past. Yeah, I mean that's uh that's kind of what we're looking at is like it's it's it this is such a huge like point in the MLB's history. After, you know, I would say two decades really of decline, you know, or I mean decade and a half, we'll say 2004, 2005, you know, of like baseball just taking a backseat to everything else pretty much, like professional, you know, the major you know, you know, US sports, right? And this you 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 have a group that isn't just talented there's always talent but talented and charismatic i mean a group that you can market and brand and sell and instead of like just saying you know what we're going to we're going to make so much fucking money off Shohei we're going to make so much fucking money off Fernando we're going to make so much money off Juan Soto it's instead of well how do we make the most money off one soto like how do we maximize and i get that that's what owning a business is about is maximizing profits but geez man it, de- it definitely comes off as slimy it's definitely not a good look happy players uh, make for happy product too you know yeah, yeah man i mean it just makes sense to to do that to, to to i mean just treat people with respect is a lot of it too i mean it's just fucking respect um so yeah hopefully hopefully we get some good news this week um, it doesn't sound like they meet this week. It sounds like if they meet again, it's going to be another week or two. I mean, the thing is, like, in 10 days, you know, that's when, like, pitchers and catchers are supposed to start reporting. So, I mean, obviously that's not happening in 10 days. Um, so, you know, uh, the good news is, is that, hey, minor league baseball is not affected by any of this. Uh, the Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp will open their season at the beginning of April, so get hyped. I'll there be there. There you go. Awesome. Yeah, um, um, one quick baseball thing I want to ask you before we move on and wrap up the show with our last topic. Of, uh, Freddie Freeman uh, may has not yeah. signed that deal with Atlanta yet, and the, and the motherfucking New York Yankees are target, targeting another powerful lefty. Are you nervous? So here's the deal. 
One, everyone's like, why hasn't Freddie signed the deal yet? Because there's a fucking lockout, bro. What the fuck? <laughs> like, I mean, there's so many people that are like, oh, well, you know, it's it, they're taking a really long, like there's Yankee columns I've seen like in the past couple days. The longer it goes on to make that deal happen, the longer, you know, the the, the, the better a chance the Yankees have. But, the, but those fucking Yankee when fans, does, like you can't even sign them either, Yankee fans. You that's what I'm saying. Anything. The CBA <laughs> is going to drop and then two seconds later, the Braves are going to announce that Freddie Freeman's been signed to a five-year, hundred and whatever million, you know, that's that's literally what's going to happen. Like, I have a theory that the Braves have completed the deal. The paperwork is done, and all they have to do is just wait for baseball to be alive again, and they can announce it. And, uh, and, and it's hard for me to think that Freddie, who is so beloved in Atlanta, too, coming off the season that you just had, wants to leave that situation. I mean, he's got he's got his wife and, and a young kids and family. That I, and, and I think from everything that we've heard in interviews from his post game speech after the World Series is, you know, he's happy. He has found he has found his stride in Atlanta, and, and it's time for him just to build on what he has there. I, I want to see Freddie. In, in Atlanta, Atlanta Braves blue. If I see Freddie in pinstripes next year, I, I, this upcoming season, I'd be so pissed. I'd well, be so what upset. would really be annoying about the Yankees with him is that it's, I mean, Freddie is it, it, the biggest reason why it would make, if Freddie goes to New York, that was like Freddie's third option. Like Freddie's number one option was staying in Atlanta. He said that his number two, uh, you know, by all reports, is that he'd want to play in California because that's where he's from. So if he ends up in New York, like that's just a clear sign that the Braves fucked it. Freddie, you know, couldn't go where he actually wanted to go, and now he's just going to, you know, the place where he knows he can get that massive contract. And you know what? Good for him. I'm happy for him. I'm not yeah. mad at him in any way. It's just a sign that, damn it, Braves, like, come on. Well, and like, I will say, though, you know, he would look disgustingly awful in pinstripes, but I'll tell you, if he would look really good in Angels Red, that would accent him really well. <laughs> I could see it. I could see it. Uh, I think. I think he. I think he just. He looks like a brave to me. He will no, always he look like a brave. He, he very much does. And, and he quite looks frankly, southern. I know he'd want to. He I know looks he'd southern. To to His Dodgers big ass first. fucking teeth. That dude's got some huge <laughs> ass fucking teeth. That's a southern vibe through and through. And like, uh, whenever I see that, I'm always like, God damn, that dude must be from like Decatur, Georgia. But he's not. He's from. He's from. Uh, from like Cali, Long Beach, or something. So, uh, you know, I mean, it's. Uh, it's. You know, that's that's obviously another reason why I want the CBA to get announced and for a deal to happen is just so I can get an answer on Freddie Freeman's future. Well, and it, uh, it won't just be Freddie. When that CBA does get done, there is going to be, like, so Oh, uh, that deals. first week? Holy That first fuck. week is going to be insane. I can't wait, actually. That's going to be yeah, fucking gonna be crazy. Um, it's going to be fun. And last thing to wrap up the show here, we actually need to go talk a little golf because there is some there's a shakeup going on in the golf world. I'm going to let you give the backstory and kind of break down what's going on, but this is a big deal that for all the golf fans out there, you're definitely going to want to pay attention to. So, you know, in the past year or two, there's been this developing idea, there's basically like a like a uh, you know, a, a board, a consortium, whatever you want to call it, of Saudi Arabian like businessmen and I believe royalty is involved too that want to start excuse me uh want to start a professional golf tour in Saudi Arabia um and some of the rumored deals like some of the rumored offers are like that they've they've thrown Bryson DeChambeau like 130 million a year 
like is is like kind of what they're what they're starting to like say like like i mean just insane amounts of money right um that being said it's 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 already been kind of like a, a talking point. I mean, the PGA Tour has already said that if anybody takes the money and goes and plays on that tour, they will receive a lifetime ban uh, from the PGA Tour. They can never come back. Um, that's like, I mean, insane, obviously. But They're the dropping PGA, the fucking hammer. But the PGA Tour knows that they could never, ever, ever pay that type of money. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, and, 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 and that... At the end of the day, they would lose a lot of their top talent uh, due to offers like that. Now, do I think a lot of people would actually watch the Saudi Arabian tour all that much? Not really. I mean, not. It would take a while, um, but it would definitely harm the PGA Tour. It would more bring the PGA Tour down to lose these guys than it would make the Saudi Arabian tour. Like if they announced like you know five huge names like Bryson DeChambeau, um, let's say like Justin Thomas. Um, like Phil Mickelson, you know, like, like if, if they named like that, like a group of guys like that, that would be a huge hit to the tour, to the PJ tour, but it wouldn't be this like, you know, like, oh wow. Okay. Everyone's going to tune in. Like people would definitely diehard golf fans would definitely watch it, but it's kind of annoying to have to watch, you know, golf at, at different hours than, you know, the, the well, current and, times. And that, that's the first thing I thought. It's like, well, are we going to all have to like wake up at like, are we going to have to be up at like midnight to watch? Well, and like, that's in that scenario, like rounds are going to start wicked, wicked early. Like a, a, a PGA tour event ends at like 6 PM or whatever. Like if it's in your time zone or, or whatever, it's if it's Saudi Arabia, that's like 10 hours in front of us. I think that would mean like if, you know, guys are initially if TV coverage is starting at 10 a.m., you know, that'd be fucking, you know, it'd be it'd be midnight is when like the first groups on Thursday are teeing off. And then they would the last group would tee off by like 6 a.m., 7 a.m. So, I mean, you know, it's it's kind of it's kind of, you know, it doesn't bode well for that. But also there would probably be a scenario in which live golf coverage wouldn't be in this world that, you know, the Saudi Arabian tour wins, so to speak, it live golf coverage wouldn't be nearly as important, um, as it, as it is right now. Um, but the, kind of the point why this is coming to a head, why it's worth talking about right now is that the Pebble beach pro-am was this past weekend, which is, you know, historically speaking, one of the biggest non-major golf tournaments, um, on the tour. Uh, you know, the number, uh, you know, always over the years, the number ones, you know, the pretty much everyone in the top players, everyone on the tour, you know, plays in it. There's a lot of tour events that, you know, when exam, for example, when tiger was at his best, he wasn't going to play, you know, uh, he wasn't going to play like two of the Hawaii tournaments. They played three tournaments in Hawaii to start the season. Mm-hmm. Like he wasn't going to play in two of those. He was just going to play in like one, right? This, you know, is one that guys don't really skip. Well, a lot of those fuckers turned, uh, turned down, uh, uh, the Pebble Beach program this year to go play on the Asian tours, uh, uh, Saudi event this weekend. And man, like, I mean, some of the names that went over there that skipped Pebble Beach, uh, you know, Bubba Watson, Matthew Wolf, Abraham answered, uh, uh, Dustin Johnson, Tommy Fleetwood, uh, Henrik Stinson, Phil Mickelson, Xander Shoffley, Lee Westwood, Sergio Garcia, Paul Casey, Mark Leishman, 
you know, these are all Tony Finau. These are all guys that are either young and up and coming or guys that have won majors. Um, and, and the fact and, that I know a lot of those names, it means something. That, that means yeah. there are some people that are there are some prominent people who who took away from going to the going to Pebble Beach, which I think you were mentioning. I was like, I mean, the Pebble Beach is it's not just some like kit and caboodle little mini. You it's know, a big deal. Play on the tour, yeah. It's a, it's a bit it's a big course and a big deal. It's a it's 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 absolutely it's I mean Pebble Beach is just one of the most storied golf courses. So whenever you go play there, of course you're like, okay, you know, I mean this is this is you know a, a special place and this is a tournament I should go to. Um, granted, I will say. So how the Pebble Beach program works, they don't play at the uh, at the the Ocean Course all four days. They actually rotate that week. Uh, anyways, um, so you know, I mean, it's definitely going to be interesting to see what the PGA Tour does next to potentially prevent it. Because Saudi Arabia, I mean, ain't scared. Like you know, those dudes are richer than fucking God, and like are are going or are, are, aren't going to be like you know, uh, detracted. Look at what, you know, Saudi Arabian and kind of in general, like Qatar and the UAE, all those places are, have invested in soccer in a big way and haven't slowed down one bit, despite, right. you know, Europe, uh, kind of having its qualms. So, you know, I, I, I think possible next steps that you'll see will be that the individual major tournaments will come out and say, because for example, right, the British open isn't part of the PGA tour. Like, it's a PGA Tour event in the fact that winning it matters to your PGA Tour card, but it's not a PGA Tour ran event. It's ran by, like, uh, the British Golf Association. The U.S. Open is ran by the USGA. The Masters is ran by Augusta National exclusively. And the PGA Championship is ran by the PGA Tour. That one is, you know, theirs. What you might see next is that all the different like major events, those four major events, are going to say, okay, if you go play in Saudi Arabia, you're banned from ever playing in these events, which is a bigger deal than getting banned from the tour. Not being able to play in Wisconsin uh, in April isn't something that anybody gives a fuck about. Like getting banned from the PGA Tour is not that huge of a deal. Right. Like you know, I mean, it's not like you can't go play. You know, those courses. You know, you're just not competing. You know, if you're going to get better money, you know, it's it would be hard to turn that down. You just got to go out to Saudi Arabia for most of the year. But not being able to play in the Masters, not being able to play in the British Open, not being able to play in the U.S. Open, not being able to play for the things that, you know, truly, you know, what golf's glory is all about. Mm -hmm. I mean, that that would probably prevent most everyone from going over there. The only people that would go over there would be people that, you know, really are just like they've never played golf for competition's sake you know they are just fantastic they they play golf to to eventually be rich and uh you know i mean that's 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 saudi arabia tours you know that's for you we shall Whew. i mean there's a lot going on it's very complicated it's a lot just a, a lot you know and and i mean just from from my just my you know beginner knowledge of golf i mean you just it, 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 you make the connection to soccer. It's while I don't think that you know the money is necessarily ever going to be able to have the notoriety that the PGA Tour has established for golfers, and I think the lifetime ban is something that uh, I think a lot of golfers will weigh in is when they consider the what's worth it—the money or the lifetime ban from being able to play in the PGA Tour, being able to play in you know, especially for Americans in my home country. But you know, that as as 
as the game show says, you know, if the price is fucking right. <laughs> and we, I, I'll be curious to see if, like, like when Tiger Woods comes back fully healthy, like, if Tiger Woods is somebody who's like, eh, whatever, I'm just going to go make some, make some money in Saudi Arabia, then, like, I mean, if they start pulling big names over there, then you know, uh, it's only. Oh. I feel like it's only a matter of time before the wheels come off the wagon. Okay, so that's what's interesting, right? Is that like what you just said is kind of different. Like, so Phil Mickelson and Tiger Woods, those guys that are, you know, I mean, Tiger, Tiger has basically said that he never anticipates that he'll be able to compete at the very top level ever again. Right. Tiger will absolutely go take those checks no question because he doesn't he's in a scenario where you know winning on the pj tour doesn't matter to him the major events will never ever ban tiger more than likely although they might be in a point of hypocrisy slash like kind of being a bad look if other active players decide to go over there like like if a bryson to right or something no and, and, and honestly that's kind of what i was thinking i was like well how are you ever going to Bad Tiger, if he wants to put together like one final run and he wants to play it at, at the Players Championship or Pebble Beach or go to have his final Masters run, are you who's going to be the one from the PGA committee that's going to say no to Tiger Woods in that situation? Well, further, the other deal is that you know, I the the majors blocking out you know the the anybody that plays on the on the on the Saudi tour that works in theory. They're all like I mean, very 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 different in terms of like the running organizations like philosophy and stuff like mm-hmm. how Augusta National operates Augusta National doesn't give about give uh, they don't give a fuck about the city of Augusta Georgia go to Augusta <laughs> Georgia and look around and be like oh wow I can see where all the money from the masters was invested no <laughs> it didn't go anywhere Augusta is a little bit of a shithole and 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 then it has you know the world's greatest golf course just in it um so I mean, you know, it's it's it, it, it you know for them they might be thinking, well, we don't give a fuck if they go play in Saudi Arabia for nine months out of the year and then just come play here. We don't care. But the USGA will absolutely partner with the PGA Tour on that, and you know the European Tour is not happy with the Saudi Tour either because they're not getting helped by that. Right. Um, so so you know you could see the the British Golf Association kind of uh, adjusting that. I don't actually know if it's called the British Golf Association. I, I'm just referring to it as that. Um, but yeah, man, it's going to be tough. It's, uh, it's, it's going to be very, very, you know, dicey, you know, it's, it's either, it's going to be messy. I think, you know, I, I think, um, I, I think the Saudi tour will fail to a degree, at least in terms of their aspiration. Right. Um, but you know, if one domino falls, you know, if Bryson Shambo or somebody says, Oh, I'm going. You know, you might see a lot of dom. You know, there it could it could be you know an avalanche of sorts. So, we've uh, it's a developing situation that we will keep our eye on for sure. I've got nothing really more to add that is of value at that point. Uh, Ev, is there any last bit of thing we need to wrap up? Anything you you need to get off your chest before we wrap up this baby? Um, yeah, actually, uh, you know, before we go into like kind of the plugs, uh, I want to say uh, a sincere thank you. To all my friends from Dom to my folks in Montana, uh, to my folks in South Carolina, Alabama, Florida, um, a lot of people. My my dog died uh, this this past weekend. Um, my my childhood dog died, and 
you know, I, we kind of announced that as a family and a lot of people reached out to, to share their support and talk about how much they loved Foo and, you know, how appreciative they were. And that, that really, you know, that was, you know, a huge bright spot and kind of a dark moment. So I just wanted to say a big thank you, uh, to, to everyone for that. Um, trying to think if there's, I felt like there was something else, but, uh, I can't really think of it at the moment. So I will say the other thing I appreciate is when our fans, uh, go and follow us on Twitter, uh, uh, fans, friends, you know, you're, if you're a fan, you're our friend straight up, stop us. You know, you can, you can reach out to us anytime and, uh, uh, go on, uh, go on Twitter and then go at down in out, podcast that's an in the letter in in between down and out uh uh that's where we tweet out new episodes we uh will sometimes make jokes we'll tweet about each other or tweet about you know whatever and and you know if you reach out to us we'll we'll, we'll chat it up we're always down to uh to talk because and- you guys are our friends Correct. And uh, on top of that, you can also go on your podcasting app, uh, Apple Music, Spotify, um, you know, Stitcher, whatever you're using and give us a five star review or just follow the podcast to you to where it's like showing up in your like when you open the Spotify app, it'll just place it on your in your home screen. So, you know, that way, you know, you're, you're always going to be up to date. And that's uh, that's that's a good look for us as well. Um, so thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Five star ratings, uh, big big help for you, uh, for us as well. So we really appreciate you guys. Is that as always? Shout out and we appreciate the love you give to JD Masters and Buddha. Man the Mirror, our intro outro song that you're about to hear. Uh, can't thank them enough for always partnering with us. Thank you guys for showing them some love. We appreciate you as always. We'll be back next episode coming up later this week. We're going to preview the Super Bowl, the Rams, Bengals, tons of stuff to get to then. So be sure to tune back in. But until then, this has been Down and Out. Until next time, Arrivederci. Later. Sitting in the corner in the dark like Riddick With the notepad out thinking about lyrics I ignored your story cause I didn't want to hear it Bitch, did you ever really catch a switch Where I went from rock to pool to cop a vibe like a fish Assist like white chocolate handing out a dish If the devil shows up then my soul he just wish I might accept the offer cause I wanna grind like cause And give the trophies to my mama Make him sweat like a sauna Cause act like I can't then I'ma spit like a llama Take your girlfriend out and give a Balenciaga, so check me out, fill me up and watch me bounce. Cause the new man in the mirror is looking like a mouse. Switch places, change faces, now Buddha runs a house. Trust hip hop more than bitches, so I'ma take her as a spouse. Or at least a concubine. If in front of my God feel divine, I'ma grab it like a shield and I'ma make it shine. Cause when I'm polished, I'll abolish if you cross the line. That's how I am feeling. Keep growing like a giant, go through the ceiling. In the mirror, doubled up. Now you all the fuck. We go again, but when we stop blazing, boom, boom, pow, pow. What you gonna do now? Especially when I bring the energy like it's a pow wow. Besides, find a man, paint your face, cause you a damn clown. Look around, only one that isn't on my wagon now. The name is Buddha, bitch. Damn, JD. Uh, look around, only one that isn't on my wagon now.